What is the best possible scenario we can provide for you to succeed in 2023? So the way we frame all of your success is obviously there's, there's kind of two separate frameworks, right? So there's the, the six pillars of lean, healthy, muscular body, which you guys know, or I'll share with you if you don't. And then there's the three phases that we, we kind of overlap, right? So we overlap these six pillars over three phases. And so if you're someone who's, who's relatively new to muscle intelligence, I'll tell you a little bit about the three phases because it's important. And whether or not you're in our coaching or not, you should still be following these three phases. The reason we do this is, is the three phases are, I'll tell you what they are really quickly. Um, and then I'll give you a little bit of insight and we'll go a little bit deeper on some specific things. The first phase you want to go through is what I call a foundational phase. And if you don't do this, your body is not going to adapt the way you want it to do, the way you want it to, right? So simple way to think of this is workouts are only useful if you adapt, right? So if, if I could train as hard as I want, but if I'm not doing the things necessary to adapt, a workout is literally not, it's not helping. It's not, you're, not, you're not causing an adaptation, right? I wouldn't say it's useless because there's still immediate benefits to working out from, you know, hormone benefits and what's, what are called myokines, which are these uh, secretory inflammatory molecules that ultimately cause adaptation in the body. But the body doesn't get stronger. The body doesn't adapt, doesn't build muscle unless you do the, all the things necessary. So the first phase of muscle intelligence, foundational phase, is really about increasing the size of your uh, stress bucket, right? Your resilience to stress. And sometimes that means healing the body first. That means making sure that your body is able to uh, take on a greater amount of stress. So, so many people try to do more work. For, you know, if you've ever been someone who's, um, you know, the first thing you do when you say you want to transform your body, whether it's to build muscle or lose fat, the first thing you do is more. Has anyone ever done that? Like, I want to train more. I want to do more cardio. Well, there's a big inherent problem with that, right? So the only... Uh, like I said, the only beneficial workout you're experiencing is when your body can adapt to it. So if you're doing something your body can adapt, can't adapt to, then it's, it's not a beneficial workout. So the first thing we should be doing is increasing the size of this bucket, this, this proverbial stress bucket, so that uh, you know if, if you come into me and your stress bucket's really small, like, all right, we're going to put more workouts in, we're going to eat more cardio, we're going to eat less food, then all of a sudden your body has less recovery capabilities because of less food, but more stress demands. And you start spilling over and your body doesn't adapt. These are the people who say, oh man, you know, I haven't been able to lose fat. Or, you know, I look at a carbohydrate and I get fat. Or man, my stress is so high. Or man, my sleep is so poor. All these things are very, very common in people who try to transform, right? People say, oh man, I don't know why I just can't do it. And so the, the reason is, yes, you can do it. You're just simply doing some things wrong, right? So we talk of like the natural law of sequence. Things need to happen in a specific order in order to be successful. You can't put all the ingredients in a cake together uh, and you know throw them in an oven and then add the the, the liquids after, right? It's got to be a specific order that allows you to ultimately uh, adapt. So the first phase we want to look at is a, a foundational phase, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. And then an optimization phase, and I can tell you about that in a minute. And then the final one is a performance phase, or, or really where most people try to start is in this performance phase. And that's the phase really where like, hey, we're going to go as hard as we possibly can. We're going to add more stress. We're going to add more workouts. We're going to increase the volume of our workouts. And this is where most people start. So this is where most people start, and yet they're missing the first two phases, and that's why you fail. So if your only lever, you guys may have heard me say this before, if your only lever in transforming your body is doing more and working harder... Everybody, everybody who's offended by cuss words over ears, you're fucked. You can't do it. It's literally impossible because you'll always run into a roadblock, right? 
So think of, think of just like, I need to work harder. Okay. So if you're someone who's ever run, running is a good example. Mats is walking a treadmill right now. And I say, Mats, work harder, go faster. Okay. Go faster, go faster, go faster. Eventually one of two things is going to happen. He's going to go only as fast as he can go, or he's going to get hurt. There's only two options, right? So, or he's going to be like, I can't possibly do anymore. So that's as much as I got, or he's going to get hurt. And that's effectively what happens with so many people. It's you're creating a non-sustainable system of transformation. It doesn't work. So what we need to do is first, we need to increase the resilience of the system. We need to increase the body's ability to adapt. And that's what we do in phase one. So here's what we're going to talk. Here's what phase one looks like. There's six things that we, we prioritize in phase one. And everyone has to do these six things. There's no going around this. Now, the reality is some people can bypass phase one because they've already got all these six things in order. But if you don't have all these six things in order, you must at least address the ones that are weaknesses for you. So what are those things? So at the top of the list in phase one, there's two things. And these things can be interchangeably uh, prioritized, but they should be your first priority priorities, sleep and gut health. So as coaches, we prioritize sleep and gut health because if, you're, if your sleep is poor, your likelihood of adapting is, is very, very low. Uh, if your gut health is dysregulated or not optimized, the likelihood of ultimately adapting is poor. So, or you'll inevitably run into a roadblock, right? You might lose some weight, but because gut health and inflammation are so interchangeable, they're so interrelated. If your inflammation is elevated, you're, in, you're going to be insulin resistant. Your hormones are going to be dysregulated. Your cortisol is going to be up. Your body's going to go, no, I'm not losing any, I'm not going to lose any fat. So we prioritize those two things. Going down the list in, in phase one, we also look at inflammation. And I said that already. So inflammation and insulin resistance, I, I kind of group those two together, which is, which is very, very important. And then we move down the list and we say aerobic and anaerobic fitness or cardiovascular fitness, incredibly important. And the final one that we address is skill. Or, so I, I, I interchangeably use first um, structural balance and skill. Because if you have structural balance, typically the skill is, is already there. So an example being, uh, and I think you guys, I think I talked about this last week, actually, the idea of structural balance is like, if you think of a clock, there, there's always a center of a clock. So every, every joint in the body works around this concept of centration. So you have this like fixed point, right? So clock, you know, the, the hands spin around the, the center point, the joints are the same. So we want to make sure that we have these, these joints structurally aligned. And I talked about this last week. So if you're here last week, you know. So when you when we design programs or we design warm-up plans, the most important thing that we're starting with is like, is this person structurally balanced and structurally aligned? And if they're not, that needs to be our first point of, 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 of being addressed. Oh, one I missed in the six, stress. Stress is a big one. So now stress is is a we could talk about stress for in and of itself for days, but and we will, but uh, for now, I just want to give you guys this high-level framework of the six most important things to address in phase one. So to reiterate, we have sleep, we have gut health, we have inflammation, insulin resistance, we have stress, we have aerobic fitness, and we have skill. And skill can be anything from uh, walking on a treadmill. That's a skill. Breathing is a skill. And how, how many of you think that breathing is a skill? I, just, I breathe anyways. You know, breathing is probably the most important skill that we're not taught. Do you think we should intuitively know how to breathe? Maybe, but most of us don't, especially because we sit in chairs so much and we're stressed so much. Our posture becomes dysfunctional and our ability to breathe deep 
into our diaphragm uh, becomes dysfunctional. So the diaphragm doesn't work. So our breathing is dysfunctional. And do you know there's only two functional movements in the body? What are they? Breathing and walking. Those are the two most functional movements we have. And if either of them is dysfunctional, your ability to move anything on top of that, the, the ability to stack any movement on top of that is also dysfunctional. So as coaches, we're really prioritizing that for you. We really want to make sure that your body is moving really well, you breathe really well, and you, you walk really well. So uh, one of the things you see in probably everyone's program is there's almost always walking included in everyone's plan. I suggest that every single human walks for 30 minutes to start every day, and ideally 30 minutes to end the day or 30 minutes after your, your final meal of the day. Right. And walking, not just because walking is not for old people. As I said, it's, it's, a, it's the second most functional thing we do. And if you're walking dysfunctionally, guess what? Your ability to lunge is also dysfunctional. Your ability to squat, also dysfunctional. Your ability to deadlift, also dysfunctional. You literally can't walk well. Sorry, you can't not walk well and squat and lunge and deadlift correctly. It's a literal impossibility. Right, because it, it's it's the same functional movement stacked on top of each other. So if you if you start thinking about, well, I want to squat more effectively, coach. I want to deadlift more effectively, coach. I want to lunge more effectively, coach. So what's the first step? Breathe and walk really, really well. So I want to start with that. And so if any of you guys does, and I get the idea of like it's hard to make time, right? It's hard to make time for breathing and walking. So here's how I suggest you do it. It doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be hours a day, but it has to be frequent and it has to be intentional. So if I, if for example, if I'm walking anywhere, I want to make sure that, that the first 10 steps that I take are really, really well executed. And that's it. So if, I, if I'm like, oh, I got to walk to the bathroom, I'm going to walk to the front door, I'm going to walk to the gym, or I'm going to walk from the car to the, to the, to the office or whatever, I want to become intentional about as soon as I stand up, the first 10 steps I take are intentionally executed and executed well. And I'll, I'll define what executing well means. So the key to walking is first structural alignment. And so we want to pay attention to our pelvis and our rib cage. So the orientation of our rib cage in space, the orientation of our pelvis in space kind of determines a lot of what's happening above and below. So if you guys want to first think about, well, if I were to stand up, and if you were to think about like a soda can or a pop can, you guys may have heard me use this metaphor before, but if, if the can was bent in either direction, you would stand on it and crush. But you could stand on an empty soda can with all your weight, and unless it has a dent in the side, you can literally stand it with your entire weight because it's stacked like a column. And that's how your body's supposed to work as well. You're supposed to have this vertical alignment of the pelvis and ribcage. And ultimately, the way you can tell if you're, you're accurate is with a side view. One of the reasons we ask you guys to submit a side view to us is so we can see your, your ear relative to your shoulder, relative to your hip, relative to your knee, relative to your ankle. We want to be able to see all of those things so we can tell if you're vertically aligned. If you're vertically aligned, that's step one. Great. We can, we can move forward in the sagittal plane. We're vertically aligned. Okay, walking is a sagittal plane exercise. And so if we have that, then we look at, okay, well, what is my what is my foot gate look like, right? So the first thing to strike the ground is always going to be my heel when I'm walking, not when I'm running, but when I'm walking, I strike with my heel softly. And then I roll through the midfoot and push off the big toe. So it's like in, from the outside to the inside and push through the big toe. Sorry, this camera follows me if I move. 
So it's important that you start paying attention to, am I actually pushing off my big toe? You want the big toe to almost like curl into the ground like you're pushing through it, right? This is going to activate all the muscles of the feet more accurately. Now, again, I talk about this a lot, so excuse me if I'm repeating myself, but one of the biggest challenges we have as a society is we're all put into these, these very thick rubber-soled shoes. First, there's a huge rubber sole that cushions our landing. And so your brain doesn't have to feel the floor anymore. It doesn't have to soften and receive the floor. It's just slap, right? So you, your feet become weak and, and dysfunctional because you, you lose the ability of the muscles to cushion it. So the feet, is, the feet are meant to be arched and be cushions to your landing, right? It's just a cushion. If it's flat, it's just bump, bump, bump. And you're getting all this, this force transferred up to the knees, hips, and spine that ultimately causes degeneration over, over time. So we have to reestablish the function of the feet in the walking pattern gait cycle if we want to ultimately have a functional pattern all the way up the body okay so what i suggest you guys do learn to walk without making any noise bare feet or shoes but try to walk without no there's no slapping there's no like heel slapping down so one of the best ways to learn it's painful as hell but it's a good way to learn is walking bare feet on concrete why would walking bare feet on concrete be a good idea instant feedback right you walk with heels slap on the concrete, you're going to know. You're like, holy shit, my heels are killing me. So you have to slow down. You have to be conscious of how you hit the ground. That's going to force you to start using your feet as shock absorbers the way they're meant to be used, right? So it's not just like heel slap, toe slap, heel slap, toe slap, which is what we basically do because of the shitty shoes that we're all programmed to wear from the time we're six months old. Is there actually any shoes out there that allow your feet to function appropriately? Yes. So I'm a big fan of Vivo Barefoot. I think we have a code with them, but I, I don't make any money. I mean, it's just to give you guys a discount. Um, so no real affiliation, but they're just amazing shoes and they look great. So the problem with the company, if I'm being honest, is they never have anything in stock, which is a huge problem, but like hopefully they, they figure that out soon. Uh, but great looking shoe, the best looking and probably the best functional. There's, there may be other ones that are equivalent functionally, um, but in general, Vivo is great. I'm very familiar with Zeros and Lems and they look like shit. Like, sorry, I should say this differently. Five years ago, when I, when I used zeros and limbs, they're just ugly. And I was like, man, it looks like I'm wearing shoeboxes on my feet. I'm like, I'm not doing it. At least um, for me, Vivo is like, they're decent. Maybe limbs and Vivo, zeros have got better. So if I offend anybody, I'm sorry. But when I first tried them, which is at least five years ago, I was like, these are just ugly. So, uh, and so the criteria then, guys, if you want to know how to choose your shoes, one, you got to have a wide toe box. So you don't want your toes that are conformed in some weird shape in the toe box. So you got to be able to do this with your toes in the toe box, right? You got to have enough space for your toes. And the second thing is, do the shoes move laterally and front to back? Can I bend them, right? So I want to be able to basically take the toe and touch the heel and then be able to bend them and twist them. And if you can't do that, then you probably don't want to wear them. So any shoes can, can be great, provided they're flexible and low to the ground. You really, ideally, guys, you want like, the, the thinnest sole you can find. And now people say, well, don't I need support? Does anybody, does that come to mind for anybody? Like when, I, when they first, this honest question, then we say like, I wish I, or don't I need support for my ankles or for my feet? It's, it's, a, it's an honest question. It's a good question. The, the, the general answer is most people, if as long as you have the ability to regain foot strength and foot function, then you, you want to slowly and progressively move away from using conventional shoes. But here's the key, slowly and conventional and progressively, right? Don't like throw away all your old shoes and just throw on barefoot shoes, go out for a run. You're going to hurt yourself. So like if you're going from having no function in your feet, you got to do like, you have to do 10 minutes a day. Start there. 
right? Walk a little bit, reestablish the function of the feet. And the best metaphor is like, if I put your hand into a, into a boot and I strapped it up for the first 10 years of your life, what do you think your hand would do by the time you, time you, you took the boot off? Or if I taped it up, it was like this. Your hand would become a paddle. It wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a functioning hand, right? But imagine what would happen to the rest of my, my wrist and my shoulder or my elbow if this only did this. I would have to start changing the way I moved, which is what happens to people. Why everyone's hips and back are so fucked up is because your shoes are, are dysfunctional. Your shoes are creating dysfunction. So we have to be aware of how the whole body is interconnected. Okay. And I'm, I'm like, so if I was to give everyone two pieces of advice, like the two things you should focus on, if you want to optimize long-term movement quality, your feet and your breathing, because your feet ultimately are the first point of contact with the ground and your breathing are, is ultimately controlling all mobility at the spine, the shoulders and the hips. So if you're someone has a tight spine, tight shoulders and tight hips, it's, it's because of your breathing. If you change your breathing, all of that will open up. So I think as far as biggest bang for your buck when it comes to movement quality from now into old age, I would say feet for sure, foot function, and then moving into breathing function. So some simple things you guys can do to optimize for foot function. Really, really, I'll I'll see see all these questions coming through, guys. I'll, I'll answer them in a moment. So one of the easiest things you can do for foot function is just stand on one foot. Stand on one foot. Try to manipulate your balance on one foot. So like try to stand on one foot for 60 seconds at a time, no shoes, just like, and you'll feel your feet. So first your feet are going to be going like this. Then you'll feel your feet trying to root for the ground. And then you'll feel your, what you're trying to feel is like, I want even weight distribution, right? So if I had fully functioning feet, fully functioning feet and fully functioning hips, the entire foot would be on the ground, right? The entire foot. So if you notice that just my outside of my foot or just the inside of my foot, or just the front, or just the back is on the ground then ultimately you, you assume that you're dysfunctional. Something up the chain or at, on the bottom is dysfunctional. So you work to, the, to where you can get your entire foot in the ground first. Start there, right? So we'll build some of this stuff into the plan for you guys. We're going to film some foot uh, optimization videos. I think it's very simple stuff. Simple, not easy, right? Simple meaning like, yeah, it takes no brain, very little brain power, but takes one diligence, commitment, practice and consistency, right? The, the crazy thing is, I know all of you guys are looking for the miraculous uh, program that's going to change your life. And, you know, while we, we, I think we provide the best programs in the entire world because we spend so much time getting better at them. And I, I've spent 25 years learning and Gavin spent 25 years learning. Chris is probably not as old as me, but getting there. And we're all doing it for a very long time. And man, like we're, we're just good at it. Like we've done it thousands and thousands of times. If there's still the requirement of all of you guys hitting the basic things consistently, right? So what are the three, four, or five things you can do on a daily basis consistently to succeed? Structural balance is vital. Skill acquisition is vital. And again, breathing, walking, moving, walking on a step mill is a skill. Walking is a skill. Riding a bicycle is a skill. Don't assume that anything you do goes without some nuance or should go without some nuance. Right, so if we think of well, what is the nuance in riding a bike, right? Is is there an efficient and an inefficient way to ride a bike? Yes, one hundred percent. And we're looking for the most effective, right? And so we say effective. What, what does that mean? So when it comes to what we're doing, effective could mean I'm trying to get the most muscle stimulation that I possibly can. So we think of like a squat, right? Efficient and powerlifting may mean I'm I'm moving it. As, as fast as I can from point A to point B, that's efficient. 
we're trying to transform your body and maybe I'm trying to challenge as many muscles as I can, right? Or as many muscles as I can over the longest duration of time, right? So think of it like that. Well, so what is my objective and how do I get closer to that? So when your goal is building muscle or transforming your body, I can guarantee you the objective is I want to challenge more muscles over a greater duration of time. There's only two measures of, of um, challenge, right? Literally two, magnitude and duration. That's it, right? So what's magnitude? Up and down, right? Like how heavy, how intense, and then the next one is duration. So everything we do is framed through this lens of magnitude and duration. So what are they able to do, like as far as mag mag magnitude? And then what are they able to do as far as time? And we're trying to progress those for you in all programs. Okay, so I don't want to spend too much time on that because I could, I could spend days on that, and I will. There's lots of videos coming for you guys. The next one that's really important that I started talking about that uh, I, I think many of you, this is probably the number one or one of the, certainly one of the most important things holding you guys back from achieving success is, is, is understanding stress and understanding how stress is one functioning in your body and it's not going away. And two, how it's influencing your ability to recover, your ability to build muscle, your ability to lose fat. Stress is one of the biggest influences on, on all of those systems in the body, right? So it's important to know that a healthy body wants to be lean. A healthy body wants to recover, right? The body will naturally have this healing capability if it's healthy, right? So the first thing we do in phase one is like, we got to get your body back to health. So what are the things we need to remove from, from, a, from a lifestyle, a nutrition, a supplement component or perspective that allows us to start moving closer to health. It's like remove the, the negative stimulus, take the, the nail out of your head, you know, that kind of stuff. So what are the things in your life that we have to remove? And listen, alcohol is a stress. Toxic people are a stress, right? Poor sleep is a stress. So the simplest way to look at your progress is to go, well, what's going into my stress bucket? How big is my stress bucket? Right. And so in phase one, we want to increase the size of your stress buckets. What does that mean? So here's the way I look at stress personally. I think we have two levers of intervention when it comes to stress, two primary. Obviously, we can remove the stress. That, I'm not including that. So let's say three levers. But two, two want two that, let's say we can't remove the stress. There's two things we, we have the opportunity to change. One is perception. Right. Does this have to be stressful to me? Right. What lesson do I have to learn? What can I be grateful for in the moment? And do I have to allow the stress to be amplified because of my perception of it? Example, I get in a fight with my partner, or I got a parking ticket, or I got a speeding ticket, or my boss is an a-hole, or, or whatever, right? Any of, any of those things are potentially stresses, but are we allowing ourselves or encouraging ourselves to respond in a negative way, right? So one of the books that I've, I've promoted a lot over the last five years is called Buddha's Brain. It's by Dr. Rick Hansen. And Dr. Rick Hansen says, the first dart is inevitable in most people's lives. The first dart is like, stress happens, man. You stub your toe, you're stressed. But the reaction that comes afterwards is like, who put that thing there? I'm mad at them and damn that person. That's choice, right? You get to choose how you respond to the stress. So perception is important. So in moments of stress, in moments of anger, in moments of frustration, in moments of, of, of uh, maybe even anxiety, right? Ask yourself, do I have to 
allow myself to be pulled into this? Or can I stand back and simply observe it happening and choose not to engage? Right. And that's one of the greatest benefits of meditation is creating a level of awareness minute to minute to minute, second to second to second. So I can see something happening in front of me and I can see myself getting sucked into this emotion. And I'm like, nope, not going there. Not going to allow myself to do that. I'm just going to let, I'm like, yeah, I see the situation being stressful. I'm not going to allow myself to participate in that. And I, you know, it, it, the question I'll ask myself is, does this serve me? And if getting frustrated and angry and, and overwhelmed doesn't serve you, then just don't participate. Just observe it. But yeah, I feel this way. What can I have to be grateful for right now? How can I, you know, what can I do to take action on this thing right now? What can I do to change the situation? Changes in perception. Uh, and the other one, guys, which is ultimately what we're doing here at Muscle Intelligence, is increasing your resilience to stress, right? If you guys know the term anti-fragility, what does it mean to be anti-fragile? It means I get, I get subjected to stress and I get stronger, right? That's anti-fragility. So, you know, example being I go in a cold sauna, I go in a cold tub, and I get better adapted to the cold tub, right? But guess what? There's, there's a step in between. There's the stimulus. And pe people see the stimulus and the response. But the step in between is what? Adaptation, right? We have to adapt. If we don't adapt and the body doesn't have the capability to adapt, then the stimulus is not beneficial, right? Or it's not, we're not reaping the benefit. We're not getting the, the adaptation. So then how then do we ensure our body is, is adapting? By subjecting yourself to the right stimulus, the right magnitude, and the right duration, right? So if I send you guys into a workout tomorrow, let's say you've, you've, you've been training on the workout plan you, you've been doing, and I say, all right, everybody tomorrow, we're doing 20 sets of squats with 60 seconds rest and, you know, th three, three reps. We're doing 20 sets of three tomorrow with one minute rest. And we haven't progressed up. You've been doing three to five sets late, but tomorrow we'll do 20. Is that a useful workout? Are you going to adapt to it? Do you have the ability to adapt? Maybe, but chances are you don't. So that means that workout's going to cause stress without an adaptation, right? Not saying the stress in this case is necessarily bad, but you're not going to get stronger from it. You're not going to build muscle from it. So there has to be this like undulating progression. It's almost like a stair step, right? So we progress up slowly over time based on what my body is able to adapt to. So that's a perfect segue to shift into what we do in phase two, which is the optimization phase. So in the optimization phase, so once we've established all these six priorities in phase one, now in phase two, what do we do? Well, we literally scale your, your training capacity, your training volume, amplitude, and duration concurrently with your recoverability capabilities, right? So oftentimes in phase two, this is a growth phase. This is an accumulation of work phase. We're building up your body's capacity to do work, right? So when you come in, we're building up detail. We're building up precision, not, not capacity and volume. We're building up um, your, your ability to do things well. Right? I want to be able to play the instrument with precision. Then I want to increase the amount of times or amount of volume that I practice this precision. So that's phase two. But at the same time, we have to concurrently scale my ability to recover from it. If I just progressively you know, go 10% you know, more every week or 10% more every two weeks to your, to your training, and I don't scale my ability to recover, again, you're going outside of your recovery zone, of your recovery capability, right? 
So by the end of phase two, this optimization phase, we've reached what we call your maximum recoverable volume, right? So your, your body's like, man, this is about as much work as I can get into the time frame I have allowed, allotted to me. The intensity is amazing. The exercise execution is amazing. Boom, we've reached what your body is able to do in the time frame allotted to it, which is like typically 60 to 90 minutes. And we're going hard in that time. And now the performance phase is, is a maintenance of work. So we try to maintain the total amount of caloric expenditure, maintain the performance level, maybe some slight undulations in it. We're trying to more or less maintain it while we either increase the calories or decrease the calories based on the goal. So if we're trying to build more muscle, we'll scale calories up. If we're trying to lose fat, we'll scale calories down. But both of them are relatively the performance. We're trying to basically sustain peak performance over a duration of time. Most people can't sustain it for longer than six to eight weeks. Right, that that like really hard training before you start getting into overtraining. But listen, this is where everyone tries to start, but they miss the first two phases to get themselves there. So then, when they get into performance phase, they may only last for three weeks or or two weeks, or sometimes a little bit longer. But then they notice they stagnate. They're like, I'm not building the muscle I want. If you do it correctly, the ability to build muscle in the third phase is is remarkable, and the ability to lose fat in the third phase is like this: just falls off. Right, because you're, you're maintaining the high performance, and your output is so exceptional. The muscles are burning through calories. Your non-exercise attributed thermogenesis is very, very high, and the caloric expenditure just trickles down a little bit. And you don't have to drop it to any significant level, right? So many people that come to us are like, "Man, I'm eating so much food that I ever have before, and I'm losing fat. Why is this? Because we fixed your body, we we healed your body, and we scaled your performance before we ever jammed a bunch of additional stuff on you." Thanks for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. For full episode guides with important takeaways and bonus resources, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash learn. If you enjoy the show and find value in the content, please subscribe, share this podcast with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this content, leave us a review, and support our sponsors. You can see the full list of show sponsors, discounts, and get exclusive Muscle Intelligence deals at muscleintelligence.com slash resources. To join our private community and get VIP access to my masterclasses, upcoming muscle camps, and other resources that we don't post anywhere else, head to muscleintelligence.com slash community. Most of all, thank you very much for your trust, for your time, and most importantly, for supporting health and fitness in this world. Enjoy your day, and I look forward to seeing you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.